Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from Horizon West Church. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at horizonwestchurch.com. And if you're in the Horizon West area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now enjoy this podcast from Horizon West Church. Amen. Church, have a seat for me. Man, team, thank you for leading us. Welcome to Horizon West Church. And if you don't remember anything else uh, this morning or from this morning, remember that. Christ is a firm foundation. If you have placed your feet on his foundation, you're not going to fail. He he will not fail you. Uh, I want to welcome those of you that are here for the first time. I think Socrates mentioned it, but we've got a community coffee uh, event going on next Sunday. That's really not only a chance for some of our staff and volunteers to get to know you if you're kind of new to the church, um, it's also a chance for you to get to know each other. We live in a place where people are moving from all over the world and you know, a lot of us have lived here just a few months or, or even weeks, and so uh, we want to really help you connect not only to the church but to each other. So Community Coffee next Sunday, right after uh, this event, and I don't know if you're supposed to or not, but I'm going to tell you, you don't have to sign up for that. You can just show up right after the 930 service next week and uh, get to know us a little bit better. We'd love to get to know you as well. Um, I want to, before I kind of dive into the message this morning, I want to give you a quick update some of you have seen uh, Shiloh Karshima and her, and her two children, um, and some of you would know that William and Shiloh have been serving in Nigeria. They've been on the mission field, um, and going back further than that, last April, when our two churches, Oasis Church and Horizon West Church, merged together, uh, William and Shiloh were the pastors of Oasis Church. And so uh, what that enabled, what the merge enabled, uh, was, well, for one, we picked up some really awesome people, and, and they joined the family. Uh, we also had the chance to deploy William and Shiloh to Nigeria, where they've been serving uh, for most of the last year. And uh, you're going, well, I've seen Shiloh around the last couple of weeks, and here's why. Um, over the summer, uh, because of some extreme terrorist activity in Nigeria, and some of you may have even followed this in the news, but um, it has become very unsafe um, in Nigeria. You may not know that Nigeria is, uh, if not the worst, one of the worst places to live if you're a Christian. Um, And so they're serving right in the the hardest parts of that. But William has stayed. Um, He is continuing to serve, continuing the ministry. Shiloh is also serving, doing Zoom meetings and trainings long term, which, you know, using technology for that. But she is here with the kids. And we don't really know how long that's going to be. We would just ask that you be praying for the family, be praying for William's protection, be praying for Shiloh and the kids as they're here without him. And pray... That what the enemy means for evil, God would use for good. That the kingdom would advance in spite of what they are attempting there in Nigeria. The people of Nigeria are great people. And God has made them in his image and they need to hear the good news of the gospel. And so uh, before we continue, I want to pray. Would you join me in a word of prayer before we get into the message this morning? Father, we thank you for um, your overcoming power. We thank you that uh, you are our firm foundation. Because the reality, God, is that the world around us is shaken. The world around us and sometimes the world inside our own minds and hearts is tumultuous. It's volatile. Um, And God, we plant our feet firmly on the foundation that is Christ. We rest in the salvation that Jesus' blood has secured for us. And then we go, Lord, to the nations to let them know that there is a God in heaven who loves them. Who sent his one and only son, Jesus, to save them. 
And God, even as we unpack your word today, even as we look at some important things in scripture that deal with what's coming on the world, God, would you help us to remember this? You're the foundation. You will never fail. You win the victory, and we join you in that victory in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Last Sunday, I had an interesting experience. If you were here for the service or if you were watching online, uh, you know that we began this series that we're calling Living with the End in Mind. We're kind of unpacking what Jesus and mostly the New Testament writers wrote and spoke about what's coming when the world is coming to its end. And so we began unpacking that. And I mentioned some things that triggered some thoughts in some of your minds. And I know that because last Sunday, multiple of you came up and said, man, when I was a kid, I watched this movie and I said, stop right there. I watched it too. I know exactly what you're talking about. They're like, yeah, this movie was really creepy. Like, you know, all these people were like, you know, dying in the tribulation. They were having like their heads cut off and it was crazy. And it's like, and, and, I found the movie. I'm not going to show it, but, but this is, this is the, uh, the movie. How creepy is that? If you can't read what it says underneath, it says, and there will be no place to hide. Like, what, what this movie did was it married kind of like loosely somewhat, you know, New Testament teaching and the horror film genre. And then our parents were like, hey, watch this. So this is the movie. Some of you watched this movie, and in addition to landing many of us in counseling for PTSD issues, this movie directly inspired another work that came in the 90s. Look like this. How many of you have read part or all of the Left Behind series? Man, okay. So that's a lot of you. I, I believe, and I don't think I'm wrong, I believe that this book has had the single greatest impact on the living generation's view of what's coming on the earth of any work anywhere, including, unfortunately, the Bible. Okay? So what we're going to try to do today and in the weeks that come is we're going to try to kind of unpack Scripture, and there might be some places that go, oh, that's not what the movie showed. (laughs) And we're going to go with the Bible. Are we good on that? Okay, so that's what we're going to do. Um, We are going to seek to frame, or in some cases reframe, what's called eschatology, our our theology of the end, around the Word of God. And we're going to start in Matthew chapter 24. This is where Jesus first kind of unpacks for the disciples what's coming on the earth. And you need to know that he does this in response to a question. So Matthew chapter 24, I'm going to read this entire uh, 13 verses. Let me get there. Matthew 24, 1 through 13. Follow with me. Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, you see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and of rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All of these are the beginning of birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake, and then many will fall away 
and betray one another and hate one another and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Matthew 24, 1 through 13. I want to begin here. I want to look at some of the primary views on Jesus' teaching and also on Revelation and some other New Testament passages. And, and primarily, people come down into two camps. Okay, that's the kind of the starting uh, rift or divide. Some people believe that what Jesus was predicting was immediately fulfilled in the coming years. Okay? And they believe so, not without reason. Um, he says uh, that this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. I've shared the story, and some of you have heard it, that when I was a child, I was in a, a family devotions kind of experience, and my mom read that verse, and I blurted out, Jesus lied. <laughs> right? Because I'm like, that generation did pass away, Right? Well, well, we're going to talk about some of the reasons that Jesus, in fact, didn't lie. But, but what immediately follows, or in the decades that follow Jesus' prediction, there is in, immense persecution of his followers, right? The, the disciples of the early church are under constant persecution under Rome. And then in 70 AD, the temple, which remember is the context for this passage, is destroyed and so some would say, this is, this is immediately fulfilled. Jesus isn't talking about the end of the world. He's saying to the disciples, be prepared for what you're about to experience. Well, others of us believe that it is not only immediate, but eventual. Uh, and, and part of the reason here is, is just embedded in the passage. Jesus refers to the end. He says, then the end will come. Well, there was no end clearly that came in the first century. Um, he also says that God will cut short those days. You go, well, what's he talking about? Cutting short the days. He's going to put a stop to something there. Um, and he also mentions his return. They'll see the Son of Man coming. That's a little later in the, in the passage. So all of this points to what I believe is a both and reality, okay? Are you comfortable living in that tension a little bit with me? Jesus is saying, hey disciples, you see these, this temple? Don't get married to it. Don't fall in love with it because in the next few decades, it's all going to come tumbling down. And as Jesus is prophesying the things that are about to take place, he's also burying some, we might call them Easter eggs, that point to not only the immediate fulfillment, but also the eventual fulfillment. By the way, this is not unusual when it comes to biblical prophecy. It's not unusual. We think so linearly, so black and white, so this or that, and we go, well, is he talking about this or that? Is it now or then? But let me give you another example, Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah says, unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And every year at Christmas, we talk about that verse. Why? Because we believe that it was fulfilled in Jesus. But can I tell you that the people living in that generation saw it fulfilled in a man named Hezekiah? Because the, the environment, the context into which Isaiah is prophesying is that the Assyrians are invading. Things are getting very bad. He's talking about the Assyrians and he says, but hang on, a child is going to be born who will deliver us. And to a degree, that was fulfilled in Hezekiah. Yet we say, but hold on. He'll be called Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is talking about somebody else. And when the child in the manger was born, we went, ding, that's it. That's what 
Is it this or that? It's, it's both. And the, the apostles, we're not going to go to these places, but you'll see the apostles doing this a lot. They'll talk about some Old Testament passage and they'll say, this today is fulfilled in your presence. And you're going, yeah, but that was already fulfilled then. It's then and it's now. It's this and it's that. So that's my view is primarily Jesus is referring to things that are coming on the end of the world, even as he embeds some truths about what's coming immediately. Let me now examine some end times views for those of us that believe that Jesus and the New Testament are oftentimes talking about the end things. So theological terms, premillennial, postmillennial, amillennial, inaugurated eschatology, evacuation theology, we're going to kind of set all of that aside and we're going to simplify this. I'm not doing this for you, I'm doing this for me, okay? This isn't you, it's me. I need to think about this in, in clearer terms. So basically, For those who believe that what Jesus is predicting does have eventual end times fulfillment, which I am and I think many of you are, now it comes down to another split. There are those who have a very optimistic view of the end and those who have a pessimistic view of the end. Those who have an optimistic view of end times believe that gradually over a long period of time, humanity and the world at large become the kind of place that can accept the reign of Christ. In other words, man, the church is just so powerful and and, and psychology and science and academics are helping us to advance to a place where we become the kind of society that God envisioned and then Christ comes and reigns over it. This view was very popular during and in the immediate aftermath of the age of enlightenment. We said, man, look at what we're accomplishing. We're not those cavemen anymore. We can travel the world. We've got works of music and art that are greater than anything history has ever produced. We're building universities. We're, we're discovering new parts of the world. Man is triumphing. The world is becoming. And then something took place. Two things, actually. At the beginning of the 20th century, that we all went, going <laughs> to back, back away from that view. You know what they are, right? World War I, World War II. One of the most advanced nations in the world, let's just talk about World War II, decided it would be a good idea to put over six million people to death. And this was not just one deranged leader. This was churches, governments, storefronts, collaborating together with some exceptions like Dietrich Bonhoeffer and other men of courage and who, who stood against the, the Nazi regime. But all of a sudden we went, hang on. We had everything at our fingertips and we used it for evil. Now we got to rethink this view. And so theologians began to look again at the New Testament. And I think with a little bit of a clearer lens and what emerged then became a more negative view of end times. By the way, this should tell us something about our, our views on these things. They are somewhat colored by where we live and when we live right? And that's why I'm going to say probably every week, we we don't need to like double down on everything we believe is coming in the end times and believe that our way is right and we're going to not fellowship with people. Like we don't need to do any of that. We're impacted by the lens through which we look, both when and where we live. But I believe, in spite of all that, I believe the New Testament paints a, a rather negative view of end times, which basically means this, that gradually over a long period of time, humanity and the world at large become the kind of place that needs a complete overhaul. 
right? Not a place that becomes a utopia that can receive Jesus as its king, but a place that becomes increasingly resistant to the reign of Christ to the point where God has to step in or the world will simply self-destruct. And I think that's some of what Jesus is beginning to allude to in Matthew chapter 24. Now, those who uh, don't subscribe to this view, and you would know some names if I said them, they've derisively called this evacuation theology. And we do need to be careful here. Because what we can't say is, hey, the world's just going to get bad, so we're just going to hang on for dear life and pray Jesus comes back soon. He said, go into all the world and make disciples. <laughs> he, he, didn't, he didn't say, just, just hunker down. because No, 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 no. We're on mission. We refuse to allow the, the kingdom of darkness to overwhelm the kingdom of light. We, we march with spiritual armor. We take the gospel to the nations. So it's not evacuation theology, but we can fall into that. When I was a young adult in my early 20s, I was leading a missions team uh, to Southern California. It's this third world um, country on the, on the, I'm just kidding. No, but I really, I really was in California, and, and, and there was a, a group of people there, and they were, you know, um, uh, what would you call them, like climate activists and stuff, and they were like, hey, would you sign this peti- petition? We're trying to, to get the environment, you know, healthy and all this kind of stuff, and I said to this girl, you know this is all going to burn one day, right? <laughs> and she was like, kind of like taken back by that, and I walked away feeling very smug, and I got like 10 steps, and I was like, Ugh. I went back, and I'm like, hey, that was a really stupid thing to say. I'm sorry. <laughs> It took about that long for me to remember, oh wait, hang on a second. God did tell us to steward the earth. He did tell us to cultivate, to bear fruit. Like like God made the world, Christians should be the most pro-environment, right? Not the least. Like on the, on the you know, spectrum of values and virtues, like it can fall somewhere in there. But, but we should care. We should care about the world. Because to not do that, for one, it dishonors God's creation. It negates his plan for here and now, and it also sends a terrible message to the rest of the world that all we're thinking about, we're putting these blinders on, all, the, all we're thinking about is the end, and we need to care about here and now. But th- so these are two primary views, negative view of end times, positive view of end times. Um, and today, we're going to title this message, Signs of the Times. All of that was introduction. I've got about 30 minutes, no, I'm just kidding, I've got about 20 minutes left, H- hang tight. Signs of the times. I want to give you three indicators or predictors that Jesus tells his followers to watch for in the passage we read a moment ago. Matthew uh, chapter 24. If I were to sum up these predictors in a single word, I would use the word volatility. Okay, that, that's kind of the, the picture that Jesus is painting about the end. There's going to be volatile times and there's going to be a sharp increase in at least three areas. Okay, So the first is this. As we near the end of time, we will see a sharp increase in natural disasters. It's interesting. Jesus references things like earthquakes, right? So he's saying there's going to be famines and earthquakes in various places. Verse 7 is is what he says. Um, These same signs are also named in parallel New Testament passages and in Revelation. Uh, Let me show you one. Luke chapter 21 verse 25. Both Matthew, Mark, and Luke record this same teaching of Jesus with minor nuances and differences. Luke chapter 21, verse 25 says this. There will be signs in the sun and moon and stars and on the earth, distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world, 
for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Jesus seems to be indicating that the, the war that's happening in heaven between good and evil is manifesting in some ways on the earth in ways that we're going to see an increase in volatility even on our planet and in the cosmos. Let me ask this question. Why would events in the natural world be indicators of the end times? Like, is that anywhere else in Scripture? I would take you to Romans chapter 8 and listen to what Paul says, verses 19 and 22. These are not end times predictors. This is not an end times passage. And yet Paul says this in Romans 8. The creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together as in the pains of childbirth until now. Can I, this is, this is crazy. This blew my mind when I saw it. Do you know what the word for revealing is that Paul uses here in Romans 8? The word is apocalypsis. So Paul's saying, The earth is groaning as if it was in the pains of childbirth for the apocalypse to come in which it will become clear who is for God and who is against him. So might it make sense that the closer we get to that revealing, the closer we get to those birth pains. By the way, that's what Jesus said. These are the beginnings of birth pains of the revealing. Volatility on the earth, volatility in the sky. I, uh, I looked this up this week, and, and I didn't want to look at, you know, Christian sources, people that are like, you know, rapture predictors that, that have us. I, I wanted to find out if we're seeing an increase in natural disasters. Can I, sh- can I show you this graph? This is a graph of all recorded natural disasters over the last hundred plus years there. And what's fascinating about this, I, I dismissed kind of everything pre like 1960, this may be arrogant I just thought they probably didn't know all the disasters that were happening like they might not have had the instruments but by the time you get like into the 70s there's like a 24-7 news cycle and television and radio and and airplane I mean like there should be pretty good handles on these natural disasters and so in 1975 there were 40 extreme weather events in the world in 2005 40 years later there were 432 extreme weather events an increase of 1,000%. That's, that's pretty stark, right? Like that, that's an alarming statistic. I also looked up the most deadly natural disaster, disasters in human history and found that nine of the 12 deadliest natural disasters to ever have occurred have occurred in the last 200 years. So think about all of human history. And, and two of them have occurred in the last 20. One in Haiti and one in Indonesia. So you're like, man, there is some indication. Now, I'm not telling you, hey, Jesus is coming back on this day. I'm not even saying we're the generation necessarily. But remember, Jesus said, hey, pay attention because these are the beginnings of birth pains. This is the beginning indicator that that something is coming. There's going to be an increase in volatility. And remember that I told you and warned you about this. Additionally, I'll just add this as bonus material. We we can argue or disagree about the reasons for climate change, but we do know that there are significant changes in the climate and and, and the weather and and all those things. So all of that working together causes us to go, wow, hey, Jesus was onto something. This is different. Yes, there have been earthquakes in all generations. Yes, there's been weather events, but we see data showing that it's getting more volatile. Number two, there will be an increase in spiritual darkness. 
Now, again, similar to the question of natural disasters, you're like, wasn't the world always dark? Like, wasn't there always lost people? Yes, 100%. And there are times in history that have been more volatile. You think about the Holocaust that I mentioned earlier. You think about hundreds of years of slavery in developed countries where we treated other people as if they were less than human. You think about genocide and injustice and sexual immorality. These things have always existed. What's interesting to me about what Jesus says is that there's a few specific areas that we need to watch for that might be indicators of a change. Here's what he says. False teachers, wars and rumors of wars, lawlessness, and and horrific persecution of, of believers. And what interests me in that is not just that those things will happen. Again, they've always been happening. But Jesus says there's going to be two resulting factors in the lives of people. Number one, many Christians will fall away. Did you know that in our generation, actually within the last few years, we've created a new word, the word deconversion. Because it's happening so frequently and to such prominent figures like pastors and worship leaders that we coined a term. We used to call it apostasy. John Piper's view is he goes, yeah, we don't call it that anymore because that sounds bad. We want it to sound trendy. Oh, I I just, I deconverted. We actually created a term for this because people are doing what Jesus said. Many are falling away from the faith. And then he says this, and because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Ooh. People will become more isolated. People become more arm's length. There will be more anger and hatred spewed across the aisle. All of these things are happening. I mean, social media, if nothing else, has just handed everybody a megaphone and said, just scream your loudest. Jesus says, hey, when he gets toward the end, people are going to be like this. They're going to be at odds. It's interesting to me that he, he diagnoses both an emotional and a spiritual unhealth and unrest that will come over the earth. I don't know that in human history, the world has ever been less healthy emotionally and spiritually. We have all the resources in the world. We have all this technology that can keep us alive longer. And people are literally dying because their emotions and their spiritual life are so in disarray. So these are indicators and predictors of what's coming. Of course, these are a little harder to quantify. I can't show you a graph on like people's emotional health, but I think you'll track with me. I don't think anybody would push back and go, man, I think the world's doing great emotionally. (laughs) There's a comedian, he said, you know, it feels like people just walk around now going, well, it's gonna get interesting. You know, like that's just the world we live in. Like the election's coming, that's gonna get interesting. You see what's going on over here? Well, that's going to get interesting. It's volatile and it's spiritually dark. What I believe is is not just that the end times are more evil. I, I don't think people are getting more evil. But what's happening is that evil is becoming more pervasive. Like we're surrounded by reports of destruction and death and evil. And technology has allowed us to bring that so close to us. And the 24-7 news cycle allows us to be inundated with it constantly. And Jesus says, hey, when that starts to happen, it's going to take a toll on people. It's going to be harder to have faith. It's going to be harder to love. And yet, in spite of this increase in spiritual darkness, the third increase that we'll begin to see is an increase in kingdom impact. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. You ask, well, how can both of these things be true? How can there be both an increase in spiritual darkness and in the advance of God's kingdom? Let me read for you the the one verse that I left off of the earlier reading. Matthew 24, 14. 
Jesus says this, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. What's striking about this is that Jesus is alluding to the fact that the same technology and resources that will cause evil people to do evil at its worst can cause God's people to advance the gospel in places it never could have reached. Like we're seeing that in our lifetime. And for those who go, man, all these things, every generation, yes, every generation to some degree has thought they were the last, but not every generation has had the internet, right? Like not every generation has had the ability to translate the gospel into all languages. That's happening. There are some that believe that if we do this right and enough Christians go all in, that the gospel could be in every people group by 2033. That's 11 years away. We've got people in this church who are praying about an unreached people group that they could go to to take the gospel to new places. And Jesus says, that's going to happen before the end comes. Many theologians say that's the number one indicator of the end. When the gospel gets to all people groups, we know that Christ's return is imminent. I don't know for sure, but I do know that Jesus said the gospel is going to go all over the world. And thinking about unreached people groups, and by the way, that just simply means those who don't have the gospel in their own language. They've never heard the good news of Jesus. David Platt, former IMB president, International Mission Board, he had, he had a quote that I want to share with you. He said, the reason that there are still unreached people groups 2,000 years later is that all of the easy ones are already taken. <laughs> Think about that for a second. Let that rest on you for a minute. Some of you, especially younger people, we need men and women to go to nations where it's really, really hard. We need men like William, who's staying in Nigeria, to take the gospel in a really hard place because the gospel matters. It matters that we not just plant here, which we will do, and we will proclaim the gospel in Horizon West, but we want to send people all over the world to take this good news of Jesus everywhere that people are. To make sense of these last two points, the rise in spiritual darkness and the rise in kingdom impact, Remember again what I told you, that apocalypse means revealing. And I think one of the things that's beginning to take place is that it's becoming clearer who the people of God are and who the people of darkness are. And there are, it's becoming clearer those who are playing the game, who are pretending to be people of God and are falling away, that stuff's becoming clear. That's apocalypse. That's what Jesus predicted. And the opportunity that gives us church is that when it is darkest, the light shines brightest. When the backdrop of volatility is in place, like this diamond on, uh, on a black surface, it, it sparkles and shines more brightly, more clearly, because of the contrast. I think Jesus is indicating that there's going to be a growing contrast to reveal who are the believers and who are just playing the game. One last thought. Matthew chapter 24 begins with the disciples asking Jesus a when question. Did you pick that up? He says, they say, Jesus, when are these things going to happen? And Jesus gives them some indicators, but what he primarily does is answers a how question. Stay with me. They say, Jesus, when will this happen? And he says things like this. See that no one leads you astray. See that you're not alarmed. Stay awake. Be ready. So he's saying, regardless of when these things happen, regardless of the indicators, and yes, they are important, primarily disciples, primarily Christians, primarily Horizon West Church, 
It's about how you live in the meantime. And I think it boils down to two things real quickly. Number one, don't be anxious. I'm preaching to myself here. Don't be anxious. The world is volatile. Things are getting dark. Don't be anxious. We know who wins in the end. In fact, all end times teaching in the New Testament was originally written to encourage and give hope. Why? Because Christians were living under regimes that were literally killing them. And Jesus says, hang on. I win in the end. You're victorious. So we don't need to be anxious about what's going on in the world. We, we run back to that firm foundation that we sang about just moments ago. And then secondly, we stay alert. In the Mark 13 passage, Mark renders it awake over and over. Stay awake, stay awake, stay awake. And the reason is that as we near the end, those who are not alert and awake will be easy prey for the enemy. 1 Peter chapter 5 Peter says, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him standing firm in the faith because you know your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of persecutions. We have an enemy who is mounting his attack on God. He's hated him from the beginning. And Jesus says, and the disciples repeat, Christians, be alert. Be alert. Don't fall asleep. Don't go numb. Don't become complacent. Don't get distracted. We need to be ready when that time comes. So next week, we're going to dive into a, a new part of the end times. We're going to talk about tribulation. That's going to be a lot of fun. Bring a seatbelt with you. Um, I'm going to pray in just a moment. Team, I want to invite you to come back up and lead us in worship. Before we do that, I want you to know if you're here this morning and you're feeling that anxiety, you're feeling some angst around things going on in your life, we've got deacons and team leaders who are ready to receive you for prayer. Um, and they're just going to be kind of standing right down here. And so don't leave today. If you need prayer, don't leave without having received that. Let me pray. Um, and then team, lead us in a closing song of worship. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. And thank you for the confidence that we can have in it. God, we know that uh, the things that are coming on the earth are going to be um, in some ways tumultuous, volatile. And yet, we know that through Christ we have a firm foundation. We need not fear. We need not be afraid. Lord, help us to stay awake. Help us to be alert. And God, most of all, help us to continue taking the gospel to those in need. Help us to continue to light up even the darkest places. We want to bring you glory. We want to see a harvest come in. We want to see people worshiping the risen Savior, Jesus. So help us to do our part and to trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Horizon West Church Podcast. If you were inspired or encouraged by something you heard today, share it with a friend. For more information like our service time, location, and other info, be sure to visit us online at horizonwestchurch.com. Have a great week.